And here we go. Welcome back, everybody, to the Creating Geeks, a parenting podcast of great responsibility podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Sarah, the other one. And we have a very, very special guest that I'll be introducing to you soon. But as always, for my patrons out there, I like to just do a little housekeeping at the start. For my $15 or more a month patrons, they are Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin CV, Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, Mark Price, and Collaborating Online. Thank you guys so much for your $15 or more a month pledge to keep us moving over here, particularly right now, because it's as crazy as it's ever been. And for my newest patrons, Chantel Sorrentino and Kevin Michael Hink, thank you so much. This podcast today is brought to you by the Engaged Family Gaming Podcast. Um, host Steven Dutzman and his ever-growing collection of friends and family talk to you about video games, board games, and whatever else that are fun to play with your family. He's an awesome guy. We, um, we talked to him at PAX East last year. I've had him on the show, and he's an absolute blast. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce today's guest, Gina Rock. Gina, introduce yourself to my people. Hi there, this is Gina Rock, and I'm going to do my first podcast in a year. It's been a really long time. Uh, usually I do podcasts about once every four to six months, so it's been a long time, and I'm looking forward to it. Awesome, and so Gina, you know, uh, I, I met you through our mutual friend, and I believe your manager, Josh Schaefer, and I'd like to thank him again for making this connection Um with us today um it's really 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 awesome your your story with him and everything um you know the 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 main connection there is that you from 1985 to 2003 if i have that correct were tinkerbell at disneyland the flying tinkerbell but your life actually has it was 1983 so to 2005 oh i got the three and the five reverse so thank you very much dyslexia no for the win but um I, I figured you know since we have you here and there's obviously more to everybody than just maybe the one thing that they're known for we'd um just start at the beginning. Tell, tell us all about you. Let's get to know you. Well, let's see. When I was about, I think I was, I was probably six years old, and my mother was uh, very much into the arts, and she was hoping that one of her kids would do something either artistic, athletic, or, you know, one of us would probably excel in, in something she was interested in. So she used to take us to museums and symphonies and, and ballets. And so I was the one who went into ballet, and my sister was an artist, and my brother played the Hello. You know, I was introduced to, you know, an athletic world at an early age of six, and I I performed ballet for till I was about 12. And then a very good friend of mine, she went, she got picked up for the Juilliard School in New York at a very young age, and I was very jealous, so I decided to play guitar. So cool. um, I went off in a different direction at that point because I was disappointed because I didn't have the ability to become a ballerina so that's kind of how it started i was always doing a little bit of gymnastics in the house doing handstands and learning how to do back bends my brother was in gymnastics first and he got hurt quite a bit so he ended up getting out of gymnastics and i got into it at an early age so the combination of ballet and gymnastics led me into a circus career so that's wow. kind of started <laughs> so how did how did that happened well, I like you, you know, to did you, did you, well the I like to start my story by talking about my father's background and okay. the reason I do that is because my father was a nuclear physicist 
So wow. I was raised in a household that was um, very educated and, uh, you know, my parents, you know, always played Scrabble after dinner and, you know, they took us to cultural uh, cultural events and, you know, here I am, I'm, uh, I'm pretty young and, and I get introduced to the circus and my father is getting worried because I'm playing around on a trapeze and 17 years old and, you know, I got interested in it at an early age and he was worried and rightfully so because I ended up running away with the circus with not too good, not really getting permission. I just sort of said I was going to do it. Literally (laughs) running away with the circus. I love the day they've done that like the coolest thing. I, I like that part of my story where I get to show the dichotomy of growing up in a cultural household and running away with circus. That's my favorite part of the story. What did you do in the circus? Like what was your act? Well, I started out when I learned how to uh, how to do flying trapeze and I learned how to do aerial ballet. The Bob Yerkes who lived one mile from my house. I, I met him when I was doing gymnastics in high school. In fact, I talked to him yesterday. He's, oh, wow. 80, he's 89 years old. And he sounded uh, kind of weak. Um, I usually call him about every three to four months to check up on him and see how he's doing. He's an amazing man. He he has done stunts since he started out in the circus and he became a stunt man. And I think he did his last stunt and had it filmed in a movie probably when he was still 85. Wow, so just three or four years ago. So, yes. And I think he finally decided it was time. And um, like I said, I talked to him yesterday, and I hadn't talked to him this time for about five months, so I was concerned. We have this little running joke. I'm like, you better be picking up the phone. (laughs) Please be answering this phone. And he said, yeah, I'm still answering the phone. But, you know, it's maybe time soon. And, you know, I always remind him that I I, I just love listening to him and and talking with him. And he started my career back in 1974. Wow. So... was he, he in the circus when he quote unquote discovered you when you were at the circus? Uh, you know, was he in films or was he in the circus at the time? What it was is he he had. Um, I I am from California and I'm what they call as a valley girl. If you guys you know know what that is, most yep. people from my era know what that is. Um, he lived in the in the San Fernando Valley and he had all of the rigging in his backyard. So I met him at, at my high school. I was doing gymnastics, and he introduced himself to me and wanted to know if I wanted to learn how to do circus. And, of course, I mean, what kid is not going to want to learn how to do that, <laughs> especially because I was already doing gymnastics and ballet. So I rode my bike up to his house every weekend. I was 17 years old when I met him and every weekend until I graduated six months later I was playing around on the trapeze and the single trapeze and the trampoline and his wife taught me how to do aerial ballet and I just fell in love with it I was enamored with the whole the whole deal you know I didn't really know too much about what circus life was going to be like but the bottom line is I was hooked from the minute I started playing around on the on all of the low wire and the trapeze and so one day an act came in the backyard and said hey we're looking for somebody for my act 
What do you think? So, you know, I, that's what started it. That's amazing. You know, and, and you mentioned, you know, still talking to Bob to this day. And I noticed this through, through talking with Josh and all the people he's met, you know, from your era and, and even further back, you know, into the Imagineers and everybody with Disney. It, it's such a tight knit group. Everybody's checking up on each other. Everyone still goes out, you know, for like yearly or every six month dinners and everything. And it's great to see that there's still that in the world. The people that are still tied together by that camaraderie, even though, you know, you think of these companies and these things as bigger than the people. It, it's just really interesting to me. Yeah, and, I, you know, speaking of which, I actually have not had a chance to be a part of that group, um, except from afar. I was very fortunate to find Joshua. I was at USC taking geospatial intelligence, and my mind kind of wandered out of science, and I was playing around on the computer taking a break there for a minute and I thought you know what I need to find out if who's been writing about Tinkerbell lately and I found an article that he had written and I I reached out to him there was I think there was an email there and I reached out to him and I said you know I noticed that you mentioned Tinkerbell in your articles you know can we talk and so we started talking and I'll never forget I was back in 2016 when I was at USC and I was uh, renting an apartment at the time because I was trying to think straight and I was I took myself off the road for the first time in many many years decided to pay attention to my class and that's how we met because I had taken a little break from from doing disaster recovery work and that's how I met so I found Joshua online and you know the rest is you know, history. We've been uh, together as a as a team since 2016, and he's just he's fabulous. You know, he's he's, he's a really great guy. I'm, I'm so happy I found him. Um, so so Bob, your kiss. I, I think it's just meant, meant to be. Yeah, meant to be. I I have a note here from from Josh that Bob was actually Boba Fett's stuntman, um, in Return of the Jedi, which is really cool. And also, you you met your husband, um, well well during that time period is that correct yes um richard rock he he was um a gymnast as well he wasn't born into the circus his brother had started flying on the trapeze many years before he was interested and he his brother bothered him to come on try catching you know and and that's a very difficult um part of the act of trapeze is catching people who throw somersaults in the air and so Richard started doing trapeze just like I did he got into it because he was a gymnast and his brother you know bothered him to get in so I met him in the backyard at Bob Yerkes and we started dating and uh, long story short you know we ended up having children together and we were together for many years and I think there was a part of me that must have known that my life was supposed to be gypsy forever because yeah. <laughs> i'm still a gypsy hey no knowing that or learning that about yourself is, is important right you know your your life it's going to drag you in that direction and if you uh if you try to fight it it doesn't always make for the happiest times so so it was the win family a win family member who got you into was it the shrine circus was that your your first gig uh, the win family that that was the family that was in the backyard when they were looking for somebody to join their act. And yep. that's when I started. So I, I actually, you know, the gentleman said to me, he 
you know, would you like to see what we're looking for? And I said, sure. So he strung this wire between two trees and hung this, hung a trolley up there on the wire, just like tink- I do it for Tinkerbell. And although I was hanging by my neck in a neck loop, and he said, okay, just, you know, what I want you to do is go to the top of this ladder and hang by your neck and you let go. Brave. And this is what the act, <laughs> this is what the act is. Oh my Lord. Wow. So had you, had you ever done have you ever done anything like that before, or were you like I I don't know if no. in gymnastics there's anything equivalent to no. hanging your body weight from your neck. That doesn't sound fun. No, of course not. I mean, it was. <laughs> you know, when you're younger, you think you're invincible, right? So I I imagine it went well, and you were able to do it. Well, she didn't die. <laughs> Like, yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, let's, it's a bad time to be talking about that. But, yeah, and, you know, let's mention that in brief passing so that I can keep my history together. Because you never know when I'm going to get Alzheimer's. I'm, I'm of that age where it can happen any minute. So, you know, obviously we're in the middle of a crisis of yep. COVID-19. Unfortunately, my birthday is January 19th. So oh. um, I'm never going to forget it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is part of my history that um, we talk about these things when they're being recorded. And and I am deployed right now. Um, I'm on the road and uh, won't speak about where I am, but I'm in the Midwest and have been here for five months. And we're in the middle of uh, a tragedy right now. And um, it's nice to be able to do something to not think about it. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, we appreciate it. It's 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 the same thing, you know. It, it we're we're parents, and you know, having having a couple of kids, especially one that's school age, not be able to have her services or her schooling during this time, you know, it, it weighs heavy on us. So having this little bit of a a break to connect with another human being that. Um, has an interesting story, you know, that's what this is all about, right? The whole reason I do this stuff is to share interesting people's stories and ideas and something positive, you know? People need something positive to keep their minds off of how weird and crazy things can get. And, I mean, we're we're all alive today, knock on wood, like you said before, experiencing something that's unprecedented. And so I thank you for doing the work that you do. Um, to keep everybody safe, or at least try to. And <laughs> same thing here. Yeah, we're we're going to be getting heavily involved with that. I believe they're going to declare it um, as you know a real disaster and emergency, and that that's when we get involved. And that's what I've been doing for the last fifteen years. You know, I've taken a kind of a crazy path, and I think you know the message I'd like to give to young people here is that we have such a short time to live. And there's so many things out there that you can do in so many different directions. And for my whole life, I've been trying so many different things and different vocations. And I've had many people say to me, Gina, why don't you just settle on one thing? I was a talent agent for 25 years. I've owned a pizza restaurant. I've done the circus. I was Tinkerbell. I'm, now I've been in disaster recovery work for 15 years. I think it's my whole life has been like this, where I just, I stay for long periods of time in a vocation, but I also like to try a lot of different things because we only live, if you round it off to a hundred years, it's just not long enough. Even even just to experience what 
you want to experience, let alone to try new and unknown things, right? Yeah, I mean, I've, I think that, you know, it's just been in my character. I think uh, my mother, my mother was very, uh, she's very liberal, and she really, she kind of emphasized the fact that, you know, your life can be more than just doing one thing. You don't need to take one path. You know, if you want to try some new things, she was open to that. My father was much more conservative, of course, as a nuclear physicist who worked for Lockheed Martin. He, yep. uh, he, was, in the, he was in the Navy. And so, of course, you know, he, they were a great couple. My, my parents were a fantastic couple. They just, he, he adored my mother. And she was a very special lady. She, I lost her in... Uh, about 11 years ago, and um, 2009, and she was a very special lady. I lost my dad when he was 49. He had a heart attack. You know, that was short-lived, you know, that he didn't get to see me be enveloped. My whole life is enveloped with engineers, and it's so special. Even though I cannot say I'm an engineer, I work around many of them, and I just, I feel so fortunate that I could touch that. You're talking to one right now. Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay, there's another one. A master of science in mechanical engineering. That's me. Oh, okay, great. So you kind of understand that I'm working for Jacobs Engineering, and it's a fantastic company. I started with CH2M Hill, and Jacobs uh, bought the company. So now I'm part of Jacobs Engineering, and I meet a lot of fabulous engineers while I'm on the road. A lot of them try what I'm doing with disaster recovery, and a lot of them become uh, program delivery managers like I'm doing. And they get to teach, you know, I get to learn all kinds of things about engineering where we, you know, sometimes we need the knowledge to, to run our jobs, and they're always willing to step up and teach, which is fantastic for me because I love to learn. Yeah, it's, it's a very teaching science. It, it, it Because everything progresses so quickly, it, it kind of is in the makeup of a brain that gets into that to kind of always want to learn new. And the only way to really learn new is to teach new. Um, as you know, with working them, engineering is very hands-on. You know, anyone that thinks they can sit in an office or in a classroom and do it very theoretical um, – hasn't really worked with the people it impacts, right? It, it's very hands-on, very visual. And um, it's it's great to hear someone that's benefited so much from working with people like that because we we often, especially in you know jobs like your father had and like I had, never get to really see how the public is impacted by what we do. And, and so hearing someone that's right on the front lines with it, having that positive a reaction is awesome. I'm a domestic engineer. Yes, my, Sarah well, refers to herself as a domestic engineer. Yes. Well, well, this is fun. So I guess you saw that I had done, I had worked with Anthony Pisano on a, I did a podcast with him. Yes, I did see that. Do you know about him? No, yeah, not at all. So that was, it was so much fun. I wanted to kind of get away from the whole Tinkerbell talk and, and get into the engineering side and talk about the engineering of what I did as Tinkerbell, and I suppose we could take a leap into there. <laughs> sure, well, we, we can. I, just to keep the you know the you know going in the order because this is me. I go on tangents. One of my podcasts is called The Tangent. 
So that's what I do. But um, I, I you know, just just to make sure you get to say everything you wanted to, um, you know, wanted to make sure you got to finish talking about the circus before we we dive into the next phases. If 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 you don't mind. So jumping back, I met the the Mister Wynn in the backyard and he wanted to find out if I could join his troop. And of course I went home that night and told my dad and my mom and they were doing their typical uh, cribbage game after dinner when I brought it up and they said, well, we've been expecting this. And I said, well, yeah, you probably have because I keep, I'm so enamored with, with doing the performing and um, you know, it's a lot of work. It's really hard work to fly on a trapeze and climb ropes. And so, you know, of course they said, well, what is it? And I said, well, I have been asked to join an act and you know, I know that uh, that's not where you want me to go. And my father's like, no, you're supposed to be going to college. We'll get into that. I did go to college for seven years and late in my life. Um, so yeah, he, you know, my mom went with me uh, to meet the family. She brought her best friend with her, and both of them didn't want me to go. But, you know, my mom said, look, you know, I know you're going to do, you're, you're 18. I was 18 at that time, and I'd graduated high school. And she goes, I know I can't stop you, you know, but I'd prefer you not to go, but I know they think you're headed that, that direction. So, of course, I did. And I left with this family, and um, I joined the Shrine Circus. And unfortunately, right after I started circus performing it wasn't four months after that when my dad had a heart attack and uh, i was learning to ride of course they're all huge but this i was riding an indian elephant i was learning how to ride an elephant that day and my father of all things my dad was enamored with elephants dad had a thing for elephants we had wood elephants all over the house and he collected to collect them and he never saw me ride one. So um, I, I collect elephants now <laughs> myself. Aww. So that day I, I learned how to ride an elephant and the whole circus knew that my father had died and they insisted that I keep learning how to ride this elephant, which is what, about 10 stories up? <laughs> it seems like they're about 10 stories high. They're huge. Yes, beautiful animals. So I don't know if people know this, but I'd like to talk about how you get on one. So what they yes. do is the elephants have a harness. So what you do is they put their foot up and then you put your foot on their foot when they go to, they lift their foot so they can, you can get up there and you, you grab the harness and you step on this huge foot and the elephant throws you up on their back. And I was terrified the first time I did it because I thought I was going to go over the other side. So I really, not only did I have to learn how to ride this gigantic animal, but I was crying while I was doing it because my father had died and nobody was going to let me grieve. They said, no, we're not going to let you grieve yet. You're, you're going to learn how to get on, on this elephant and you're going to ride this elephant and then we're going to let you grieve. But you're going to do this first. Now, of course, I didn't understand that at the time, but now I do. It was a special time for me um, to not only go forward with what they wanted me to do, but, you know, my dad had a, loved elephants. So there was a part of me that felt that I should do what they said, and I did. Right, it's a way to push through the grief. And to, 
and to learn learn something that would have meant something to your dad. That's that's really sweet. And for many, many years, I think for almost 10 years, I had this dream and it, it was constant. I, it was a repetitive dream I had where my father was backstage and he, uh, when I went to Ringling Brothers and I was riding the Ringling Brothers elephant, I think you've seen the pictures, Yep. and my dad was backstage. And I had that, re that dream was reoccurring throughout my life. Well, I'm sure he was very proud. So that we couldn't see. I'd it. say that's a sign, but that's me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think now, you know, if you know, he would be even more proud that I made oh, it course. into the engineering field. Yeah. That I of went course. to school that's and um, his wonderful connection. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very, I was, I'm just very grateful for everything I've been able to do and and continue to do and. So I'm kind of honoring his life and I'm honoring my own as well, you know, what I wanted to do. And I was an athlete, you know, a lot of people, you know, I've called myself an athlete for years and they're like, how can you call yourself an athlete? What did, what did you play? I said, I didn't play. I mean, I think anybody who's ever flown on a trapeze at Club Med would understand how difficult it is. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, you gotta be in incredible physical shape to do something like that that's not a i love the aerialist accent and i'm not just saying that because that's what you did but that's my favorite part of the circus is the acrobats and i say to him i'd love to learn the aerials on the ribbons but i'm terrified of height and old <laughs> i'd yeah, probably they, just break a bone. what is it sky zone the local like trampoline park has an aerialist area which um seems amazing but also is like oh we're near 40 that's a lot of broken bones <laughs> <laughs> well, it became, um, you know, it became very popular, you know, like 15 years ago, people were starting to, you know, some of the old circus performers were starting to open up trapeze schools. And that became, you know, very popular. And then they started popping up all over the place, you know, circus school and, um, and then of course, the silk came in. Now, when I was doing aerial ballet, we were, we were climbing up a rope which is a soft cotton rope, but now they have the silk ropes. So it's it's a little bit different. And it's very beautiful. The the aerial ballet that they do today with the with the silk is is just amazing. Um, it's it's great that it morphed into something that um, that was very balletic and very beautiful. Yeah, every everybody that's able to do something like that, if people don't consider them athletes, then they're missing what it takes, right? Mm -hmm. We took our, our four-year-old to the circus. Was it last Yeah, May? Big Apple Circus. It was the Big Apple one. It was the little one that, that toured, and she loved it. And our seats were right under one side of the trapeze, like right above them. And I would just sit there and be like, they're going to fall. They're going to fall. They're going to break on us. It was so cool. Yeah, yeah in fact, uh, I'm going to throw this in because we're recording. Um, I actually have juggling balls that I bring to the office. And the only reason I have the juggling balls is because I broke my arm two years ago. And the physical therapist, when I went to, when I got the cast off, said, you know, I went into her office and she had these balls, these squeeze balls. She wanted me to strengthen my wrists. And I said, wait a minute, I'm going to need three of these. She goes, why? I said, well, because I juggle. And so now I bring these juggling balls with me to work. And whenever things just get overwhelming with our brains, and it does because we sit in front of computers all day long, 
Um, it's very technical what I do. And we start juggling. And so I'm kind of known around the business um, that there's a circus performer in the office here. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's awesome. See, it says here you also were in a magic show. Yes, I uh, joined a, a magic act. Um, I met the gentleman who had, he worked with ostriches. And he needed, he was looking for a girl for his act. He, he lived in the San Fernando Valley and he worked in Magic Castle and, and he was doing school shows. And so he was looking for a girl for his act. And I had never been in a magic act. So, of course, it's something different. I'm going to do it. So when he asked me, I'm like, yeah, I want to try that. So just, you know, anything new. So, yeah, I ended up doing, I was actually two or three different magic acts. And what a blast that is. And no, don't ask me how they do the tricks because I'm not going to tell you. No, I was no. going to ask you if you did the one where they cut you in half because I have to know how that works. Now, it ruins all the fun. The whole, the whole fun of magic is, is the guessing. If, 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 no, if, but, if, but actually, I do have a funny story because I was in Magic Castle. And Magic Castle is known for their hecklers because they have their regulars that go there. So I fell out of a trick, the levitation trick. And the mechanical, you're an engineer, you understand it's mechanical. And the mechanical part of that device <laughs> kind of broke in the middle of the act. So the levitation trick turned out to be more like not a levitation trick. I was on the stage. So um, the hecklers had a field day with that. I'm sure so, they did. Yes. Yes. A apparently the engineering wasn't working too well on that. Well, Sarah Sarah and I got married in an old uh, vaudevillian theater that used to do magic acts. We knew the um, the company that uh, ran it. it was from our childhood. It was a local Le Grand David magic company, and we went to an auction because they were, you know, one of the, the guy who had run it. The big main magician had passed away, so they were selling away some of the older tricks. And the the, um, the auction, they'd bring out the trick and have like a diagram showing how it worked. And, and as a as a mechanical guy, one of them was the levitation with the yeah, broom. the levitation trick with and the broom. And they told us how that. I figured out. We figured out how that works. It was so cool just to see all that. It was fascinating. My grandmother was a clown and she did magic, and I didn't get to know how any of her tricks worked. And she passed away before I could see any of her tricks as an adult and see how they worked. My sister, she had the magic coloring book that you would flip. It would be blank pages, black and white pages. And then the pages colored. My sister got that one, so we could see how that worked. But there was a bunch that my aunt sold that I never got to see. And I was like, I want to know how those worked. So I have a funny story for the magic. Okay. So the gentleman with the ostrich. So I turned, basically, I was, you know, the girl in the cage that turned into the ostrich. And, of course, that was a very difficult trick because I had to disappear in a very very small space. I was really claustrophobic. And the guy who had the act got a standing ovation. And so I had a 200-pound ostrich standing on top of me while he stood there for his standing ovation and didn't get me out of there. And so I had claustrophobia for years after that. <laughs> oh, I thought well, I was I never going to get out of there. <laughs> claustrophobia, I... 
I have a terrible time with it. Just th- thinking about people like hidden in those things for tr- it, it scares <laughs> crap. I can't out of even me. be in elevators without someone else. I'm so like <sighs> claustrophobic. Can't see out. If it's got a window and I can see out, I'm good because I know I can smash the window if it gets stuck. <laughs> but if I'm in an enclosure, I can't. I make him go in the elevator with the kids in the stroller, and I take care. Wow, this is you already. We're we're, we're not even scratching the surface yet, and your life is fascinating. <laughs> Um, so again, um, so, you you know, I I have a few points and we don't have to go into too much, but you, you know, you were worked at Circus Circus in Reno. You were there for the opening, the ribbon cutting, right? Yes. That was 1979. And, um, yeah, just a whole bunch of other circuits. You went to Taiwan. Um, and then then Paul Kay, you you worked for, and his ex-wife was Judy Kay, who at the time was Tinker. Bella Disneyland. Yes, she'd been doing it for many years, and then they were taking Tinkerbell out because they were building Fantasyland. And when they took the tower down, she had to retire. So she retired, and it wasn't but seven years later when I inquired, and they were just putting her back. Timing was incredible. That's why, you know, the whole meant to be thing was seemed like it was meant to be for me to do it. So I didn't do a ton so of- So that's how I got in. That's awesome. I didn't do a ton of background looking because um, here, Sarah and I, we've never been to Disneyland. We've been to Disney World. And I don't know if there's a comparable Tinkerbell um, show or anything that they do at the Magic Kingdom here. I don't recall it. So I wanted to hear, um, you know, from you, you know, Cole, like, what exactly is the Tinkerbell show? Like, what, what did you do? Well, the, the most difficult part of my whole job was getting... I know that sounds funny, but I, I lived like 64 miles from Disneyland. Oh, so boy. in 1983, it was really easy to get get there, 64 miles. It took me about an hour and 10 minutes. By the time I retired from Tinkerbell, it took me two and a half hours to get to work. So yeah, I always state that that was the most difficult part of my job. So... <laughs> I have a 20-mile commute, and it takes two hours sometimes. Not the flying, not the harness, the driving to work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, I I worked literally, I I think my mom figured it out. I worked 12 minutes a year. (laughs) So I would uh, get in my car. I'd I'd drive the 64 miles. I'd go to the dressing room. I'd get all ready. And that's another funny joke because I would put on all this crazy makeup and eyelashes and one day, like 14 years later, after I started Tinkerbell, my crew goes, why are you putting all that makeup on? Nobody can see you. You're 160 feet in the air. <laughs> so I would go there and put my makeup on. Me and the crew, there's uh, two guys at the, at the mountain and uh, two that would stop me on the other end. And I put this crazy overcoat on and uh, I'd have my wig on and try to cover it with a with a head wrap, and that was a joke, with a scarf, and because my <laughs> head was huge with the wig on. And we'd walk across the park and go into the Matterhorn. The Matterhorn has an elevator in it. It goes up five flights, and then you have to climb a bunch of stairs to get up to the hatch at the top of the Matterhorn. So basically, that's what I would do. I'd go to work, get my makeup on, go over to the Matterhorn. We'd go up the stairs and the elevator, and I'd get to the top of the hatch. My show started about, well, the show took off at 9.25, so we'd get up there at about 10 minutes to 9, and, you know, we'd get all ready, and there was a box I stood on, and they put the trolley on the wire, and they'd hook me up to the wire. There was music that, that started the show, and the fireworks would start going off, and then I'd get ready to fly. So 
the whole job took literally an, not even an hour. And my flight was hopefully 24 seconds and not too much quicker than that. That's a different story for another recording. Um, so that's basically what it was. You know, I was, when people say, oh man, you had the most amazing job. I'm like, well, yeah, I got thrown off of a mountain every night. <laughs> so that's what I did. <laughs> Explain explain what you do without telling anyone what it is. Oh, I, I drive 64 miles and get thrown off a mountain while fireworks go on. Right. The, you know, if I just state it just like that and take all the glitter out of it and the, the title of Tinkerbell, it really is, you know, kind of silly. They're, you know, people are like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. I said, yeah, just take all the glamour out of it. And that's really what they're doing. They're wow. tossing me off of a mountain, you know. So it says here, you know, from that, you know, 10 of 9 to 925, you had to pass the time up there. So there was a basketball hoop, but you also had a ping pong table installed. <laughs> yeah. So when you got to the fifth floor, when you had to take the stairs after you took the elevator up five flights, there was a basketball court in there. And I think that if you've seen my website, you'll see the basketball court. Uh, Joshua put up a blog showing the basketball court what it was made of and it's it's great article and it shows um, people playing basketball in there including me um, so we would go up there shoot if you know we'd shoot some hoops there and uh, one day I said to the guys I said you know my game is really ping pong and so one day we went up there and there was a ping pong table up there so you know we play a little bit of ping pong and you know before I fly that's amazing it's like you know you think about uh yeah. you know just look at pictures of the Matterhorn and then you get this view of, you know, the lady about to go jump off of the Matterhorn as Tinkerbell playing ping pong and shooting hoops with a bunch of people. It, it's just, I, I love this background behind the scenes stuff. It's just so, especially with a place like Disney, right? Which does so much to kind of keep that being the part you don't see. It's just fascinating to hear. Um, I, I know that, you said that was the best part of the whole gig for me. You know that I'm yeah. I'm a very you know I'm a very private kind of a recluse type person, so it was perfect for me. I didn't have to meet anyone. I you know I didn't have to go work in a, in the parade, and you know all I did was fly and go home. So as far as you know my background and being kind of a recluse, it was perfect for me. You know, I was really far away from the people, and I just got to be balletic for 24 seconds, get into character, and that was it. And I went home. And when I found out that that's all that was required of me for the job, I was, I couldn't believe it. I was so happy. Right, especially when it's something so unbelievably iconic, but at the same time doesn't come with it all of the additional um social heavy lifting that you'd think would come with a disney gig like that right you'd think they'd have her walk around too yeah that would be my thought i mean it really was perfect for for my background and and uh i've always been you know kind of a kind of a recluse and and uh even though i owned a talent agency i ran the talent agency out of my house and i really didn't go on property with the acts that I booked, um, I booked a lot of talent for Disney uh, for many, many years uh, with variety performers, and I went to a few gigs where you know I had when I hired twenty or thirty people, I would go on property and and help out. But for the most part, I worked out of my house and raised my kids and 
you know, work, did teleworking way back. I started in the 80s. I started my own business in the 80s with the talent agency. And then Disney turned out needed my services to book variety talent throughout the park for corporate events and the Queen Mary when they owned it. And so, you know, I had the best of both worlds. I was an independent contractor for talent and then I also did Tinkerbell. So it was great, you know, it was a, yeah, a great life. The names of some of the people, the names of some of the people you were booking too, a boys to men, motorhead queen, um, that Indiana Jones, the, the Indiana Jones adventure media event thing sounds crazy. Um, oh, that was so much fun. It's like we had, I had fire eaters and I had still walkers and I had sword swallowers and I had, there was little people and there was globe walkers. I mean, it was a blast. It was so much fun. Now, really, I, I know you said a topic for a different podcast, so, so I won't get into why you'd fly in too fast, but you, I also have this note that sometimes you didn't make it all the way. What, um, how, how did you, how did they fix that? Like, or is it just a, oh, here I am. Everything is fine. Well, they didn't fix it. I kind of fixed it myself. Um, so the first time I ever got stuck, I basically thought to myself, well, I don't want to just be out here because everybody's going to be wondering if I'm okay. So what I did is I, you know, with my circus background, I was able to figure out basically what I needed to do to get myself in. So I would just, I reached up to the wire and I pulled myself in. That That's so, that's where my brain... You know, when you're halfway out there, it's a long that's way. Right. You do like shit. 160... How how high up in the air were you again? 160 feet. Yeah, just fine. Everything is fine. I'd be scared of that. <laughs> was the hardest uncomfortable that you had to wear? The whole setup there? Was it uncomfortable? Well, I wasn't going to just stay out there and, you know, like, oh, there's a woman hanging out on the wire there, you know. Um, so, you know, I did my little ballet thing. I pointed my toes and got into a Tinkerbell pose and I reached up to the wire and I pulled myself in gracefully. But after that, they tried to put some things together to like throw a rope at me or do something. I'm like, come on. Now the gal that, that was also Tinkerbell was my ex sister-in-law. Yep. And she was shorter than I was. She was, I don't know what, how tall she was, but she was about, I don't know, four inches shorter than me. So she had trouble getting up there to grab the wire, she would have to bounce up to grab it. But they came up with some really unusual ways to get me in. One time they, they had like a pool, you know, the long pool poles. Well, yep. if I was more than 20 feet out, that wasn't gonna work. And then they had this one, they took a clothesline and they had a little sack on the side of my costume and it was all rolled up and so I could like, Unvelcro this little pouch and then throw the rope to the guys. Well, you know, I, I don't play baseball. So the chances of me throwing that rope and getting it over to my landing was not real good. Oh my but, God. <laughs> also 160 feet off the ground. I just hear. Well, they I thought to maybe I could dangle it because they, they thought I could dangle it and they could pull me from the rooftop. But that was really oh. far. 
Oh, good. So I just basically said, no, I think I'm just going to grab the wire. So that's what right. I did. You didn't want to get towed around like a Macy's Thanksgiving Day balloon? Right, exactly. Yeah, they came to me, um, it was about a year, a, the year before I retired. And they said, hey, you know, we're thinking about putting together a new show. Would you be interested in training three other people? And I said, sure. Um Actually, it was before that because they actually started training girls about three years before I, I retired, and they started implementing them in. So, yeah, I was basically the trainer for those girls. And um, then one day they said, look, you know, we're going to start a new style show. We're, we're going to finally, you know, make this forward, and we're going to bring in the technology, and Tinkerbell's not going to just fly one way. She's going to go up and back and forth, and, you know, we're going to make it, you know, the new technology you know, it was time, you know, to change the show. And so, you know, I decided it was time for me to retire. I mean, 21 and a half years is a long time to do something do like anything. that. Yes, yes. And I've been bugging Joshua to try to get me into the Guinness Book of World Records. So that's what, that's what the website was all about, was for him to try to get me in the book well i hope that works out that's that'd be awesome they have a large disney section in there there's a i used to book comedians and there was a comedian that worked at the horseshoe um dick hardwick and i'm going to mention his name very very funny man he plays drums and does comedy and uh, in fact i booked his first gig at the ice house um as a booking agent Anyway, he had he was the longest running comedian at the Horseshoe, and he got into the Guinness Book of World Records. So I thought, well, if he can do it, I want to do it. And yeah. I think Joshua wrote them, and they turned us down. Really? And that's when I said, you know what? I need I need a website. So I need him to try again. So go ahead, promote that, would you? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you need. The, I mean, you did the work. You might as well get the. <laughs> Um, so yeah. we now, now that we've made it, you know, th through the Tinkerbell section, we, we, back to where we had, <laughs> we had jumped forward into the future a little bit when we were talking about your father and your work and engineering. But that I think brings us to to what you do now and you know what you uh, what you wanted to mention in regards to that. So I'll hopefully steer you back in that direction. So when I was starting getting ready to retire, I had gone back to college. And the very first class that I took was physical geography and uh, always had an interest in geography. I was taking a physical geography class and I had met somebody that year in 2003 that was a FEMA housing inspector. And he said, well, what do you think about when you retire? What do you think about trying to do what I do? I work for an engineering firm. And I said, well, sure, when I get ready to retire, you know, that would be great. So in 2005, that's what I did. I started taking the classes to be to do disaster recovery and very much like an insurance adjuster, whenever there was a disaster declaration, they would um, have people go out and inspect homes for, you know, flooding, rain, hurricanes, tornadoes. And not unlike an insurance adjuster, we would put in all the damages into a computer. And I took to it right away. Um, I loved it. The fact that I was able, I did a lot of charity with my mother growing up. I was a candy striper. I worked on hotlines, uh, worked wow. with the homeless. Uh, it was, that was part of my childhood. So getting into disaster recovery was very much 
you know, it wasn't charity work. I did get paid for it, but that whole background was part of my growing up because my mother was very, very involved with charity. So I took to it right away and I loved it. And long story short, my favorite story of being a disaster housing inspector was not just helping people, but I developed a children's book. Um, I, it's on my website. It's disaster art therapy. I stumbled onto, there were some children, uh, three kids in a house where, that had been flooded and the kids were basically vying for the, the parents' attention and I needed to do an intake with the parents. And so I said to the kids, I said, do you guys have any crayons? And they said, yeah. And I said, how about some blank paper? And they ran to get all of it. And I said, what do you guys think about drawing me pictures of what happened to your house, you know, getting flooded. And so these kids, I think the first time I started this, just popped into my head while I was doing the inspection, it was in 2012. And so I started collecting pictures from children. In fact, I just put one up on LinkedIn recently. I have about 250, maybe 300 pictures from children I've collected. I call it disaster art therapy. And uh, I have all these pictures in these books. And I went ahead and I published it online on LinkedIn. But I actually have the physical books with all of the pictures. And that was my favorite part. Not just helping all of the people that, that had flooding and tornadoes. And, you know, we helped a lot of people that got hurt and had to be relocated. And I just loved my job. I loved helping people. But then I also got to reach across the aisle with children. And, of course, with the Tinkerbell background, you know, I put smiles on kids' faces being, you know, as Tinkerbell. And then later I was able to reach out to children that were part of disasters and help there as well. Right. And it, it must be so, so cathartic for a family, you know, to get that view of, of what happened through, through the lens of a child, but also that helps you through it. It's like, you know, understanding how they see it can help have a conversation with them about it. Uh, it just sounds such a wonder, like, wonderful thing. Yeah, I put up the pictures randomly up on LinkedIn, and I did put one up just this week and uh, depicted, you know, I actually made a little blog about how, you know, disaster art therapy is so great for the kids to express their feelings. And right now children are wondering why they're staying home and, you know, why aren't we going to school and why is mom and dad home? And I think it's a really great time for the children to draw pictures and express themselves and and see if they can learn something. I, I like to teach a little bit about safety too with kids. I think yeah. that the parents, um, in a lot of my blogs over there on LinkedIn, I, I put up the pictures and I suggest to the parents that they start teaching their children about you know, what are hazards and what are disasters and, you know, why does the weather do this or that, you know, and get into a little bit of the science of it. So, you know, I've been able to make a little bit of an impact in a different way with my life. And uh, hopefully, you know, I've reached across the aisle with the kids and gave them some help. Yeah. I mean, it, like, to on top of, you know, the job that you're already doing, which is, you know, you, from what from what I can tell here, and from what you've said, you're you're out for three to six months at a time, long thirteen plus hour days, and then 
just to have that level of humanity to go, you know what? No, I need to, I need to talk to these kids and give them a way to express themselves. It's just, it's, it's inspirational. I love it. I just, it was one of those things kind of like when I got the Tinkerbell job, it's just one of those little things that just pop into your head and you go, yeah, this, this feels right. So when the children, those, the first three children that drew the pictures, I mean, I never stopped after that because I found that the children really enjoyed it. And not only did the kids enjoy drawing the pictures and showing their feelings about what happened to their houses, but the parents liked it when I took the picture. I mean, it actually put a smile, you know, you don't get smiles on parents' faces too much when their houses are destroyed, but it was just a little, a little nudge there on their faces where they were really pleased that, you know, I was wanting to take the pictures that the kids drew. And so I collected many of them and a lot of the kids said, hey, where, where am I going to see my pictures? And of course, at the time, you know, I didn't think, well, I could reach out to these kids, but a lot of them are, you know, of the age where they, they can find it on LinkedIn. A lot of these kids' pictures are on there and That's in my so book cool. on my website. And then they know that that connection wasn't just a fleeting thing where, you know, okay, this nice lady came to my house and talked to me. It's like, oh, she kept it and she's showing it to people. Yeah, they're very special. I mean, I really enjoy looking at them. I remember all of them. Of course, right? And that, that gets to embedded in your brain right and, and anyone especially a child expressing trauma or like how a situation it, it's just somehow our brains are wired to remember that more I guess it's empathy <laughs> um so on on top of all of that as if that wasn't enough it says here you were a physical trainer for a famous pair of ice skaters in 2000 again you already mentioned you had a pizza restaurant <laughs> And worked for a doctor. Well, I had, medicine. Yeah, I, I, what happened was, like most retired athletes or most athletes, when they're trying to find you know more work or you know grow their income a little bit, I became a trainer. Um, I got my license with AFA, and um, I became a licensed trainer. And so um, there was a family that had uh, an ice skater that had been hurt and uh, broke her shoulder, pair skating, and, you know, I spent many, many months helping her get in shape to get back on the ice, and, you know, I'd, I'd like to mention this here because um, one of the things that, that I fell into while training her was I had to be very creative because she um, she had a hard time losing weight, and, and uh, she just... You know, it was so much fun training an athlete, but I had to really motivate her. So I came up with some funny little ideas about um, some visual characters that she could think of. On, and she would think of these characters and it would help her lose weight. And the reason I'm not giving you too much information is because right now I'm in the middle of finishing a book. And it's a comedy diet book. And it all started with her and trying to give her visual ideas on how she could lose weight. And I put it in a book, and I've been writing it for the last two years. Oh, awesome. That so sounds, I'm gonna, sounds I'm great. I'm not even going to tell you the title because um, I can't give the title away yet. So, That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I did that, and, and uh, I also worked with a holistic doctor who taught me all about vitamins and minerals and how they work. And I actually gave some of that, uh, some advice recently on LinkedIn on a blog. And I started talking about vitamins and minerals and 
and taking them in liquid form and how great it is. So, you know, that's part of my book that's coming. Although Josh was just beside himself because he wants me to write this story that we're talking about, which leads into becoming Tinkerbell. And and uh, that's a, the title of that book is If I Could Live 400 Years. So basically it may not get done until I reach that. <laughs> so <laughs> it might take 400 years to write it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, um, and then, like you said before about your father, you know, being even more proud of you. And in 2015, you uh, you got your BS in emergency management, and then went to USC to take geospatial intelligence, which is, I mean, on top of all of this. Means. <laughs> well, you know, it's just it's a little gnawing thing, you know, just telling me when I was out there doing disaster recovery, you know, hey. You know, I I got to use my brain to do this, and I know I have one in there somewhere because of my dad. So I, you know, I'd been back in school, and then I finally decided to get serious about disaster recovery. So I decided to go into emergency management. And at the time I got my degree, it was an emerging field. People were only just starting. I went to Grand Canyon University, and it was just, it was 2010, 2010 turning 2011, and they were just, just then they were introducing emergency management. It was an emerging field. I mean, it, it was the beginning of a, of a big deal. Now everybody's, you know, getting their licenses and their BS and their doctorate in it. But at the time, it was, you know, not a lot of people knew about it. And so in 2015, I graduated. I took all the classes online. In fact, there were many nights when I worked 15 hours and had to write essays. So I did most of my schooling and got my degree when I was out doing disaster recovery. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's just all, you think the story would be just interesting enough of, you know, the, the circus and Tinkerbell and then your, your post Tinkerbell life is just so you just didn't stop like you said no reason to stop if i'm still here right <laughs> no i agree I'm the, the guy you work with that was like certified yeah everything. yeah i worked i worked with a gentleman whose whose name was ronald mcdonald um his his family named him um before ronald mcdonald was a thing and he said you know with a name like that i'm gonna just get all these certifications one because you know that was just his, in his personality. And two, he wanted Ronald McDonald to be certified in all of these ridiculous things. Oh, it's him? <laughs> and I always found that really interesting. Um, well, Josh, to me, I've lived you know, a long time. Right. Uh, Josh also mentioned that for some reason, there was a time period where you couldn't find Tinkerbell merchandise at Disney. Yeah. The, the first, in the 80s, they never had any Tinkerbell memorabilia. In fact... At the end of the season, every year I would make something for the my crew. And my sister was an, is is an artist, and she used to make all kinds of things. And she taught me how to make um, some of the plastic glass staining, and I would make Tinkerbell stuff, you know, for the end of the year gifts. So my sister made some things, and I made some things, and I couldn't find anything in the park. I would go, you know, traipsing around the park trying to find Tinkerbell stuff, and they didn't have it. In fact, they didn't really introduce Tinkerbell memorabilia until the 90s. Right. And right around, in like, 1994, I remember starting to see it. But, I mean, I really had to look for it before that. And then it went crazy. 
I think from 1998, way into the 2000s. I mean, it was everywhere. That when little animated movies started? Yeah, the, the late 2000s were the animated movies, but they, yeah. they stopped. It, all over the they, they, it seemed like they doubled down on that being a big mascot, which they hadn't really done all that much before. No, they didn't. You know, because I'm a testament to it, because I used to go shopping all the time for my kids. You know, most, I took my kids to the park. I raised my kids. You know, they went with me to work like three times a week. So they were. They must you know, have thought they, that was so cool. <laughs> they have stories. My daughter was there for her birthday recently in February, and I'm like, she still goes. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> no, it seems so, uh, to me like. And I have to do a part two because it's going too long. <laughs> well, that's okay. I'd love to have you on again, but I was going to say b- before, uh, and it's never going too long. We'd, we'd talk to you for hours. You're, you're great. <laughs> but we, we should get back to our, our, our kids soon. What I was going to say is, is there anything that falls under the umbrella of, of things we've already touched on that you wanted to add anything else to? Not really. I just want to say, say that, um, first of all, I'm extremely grateful for my age, um, I've been, you know, my father, I'll never forget the day he came home, you know, he was working for Lockheed Martin and he came home with, I don't know, like a whole car full of canned goods. And that's when we were worried that that there would be some kind of a nuclear attack. And I, I don't think I'll ever forget it. I was probably eight or nine and I'll never forget asking him, why are you coming home with all these canned goods? And the fact that I've made it into my 60s now and there's never been anything, any huge crisis nationally or worldwide like this, I feel that I've been extremely fortunate. And I really just want to say that I hope that everybody is okay and everybody takes care of themselves and listen to the doctors and the people that know you know, what they're doing. And more than anything, I'd like to dedicate this whole podcast to the scientists, the doctors, and the disaster recovery people. They just work tirelessly and they're amazing. And we're very fortunate to live in America and where medicine is fantastic. And I just want to say that I hope on my next podcast that we're through this crisis of the COVID-19 I pray that we are. I agree, and that was that was wonderful. I I couldn't have said couldn't have come up with a better dedication myself. That was yeah. that was perfect. Um, but before we go, I want to give you a chance tell tell everybody where they can find all of this stuff that you've talked about, and of course, I'll put it in the liner notes with it too. You know, your website address and everything. But you know, give people a quick rundown of where they can find Gina Rock, um, in the world or on the internet. Um, the best place to you know, read about anything that I'm doing as far as Tinkerbell or or otherwise is at flyingtinkerbell.org, and that's O-R-G, flyingtinkerbell.org. Uh, Joshua's done a fantastic job on my website, and anything that I, I do, a lot of charity on there. There's a lot of uh, disaster recovery that I support through autographs and fairy dust and you know, please donate to the cause. You know, it's not about buying my stuff online because I don't, I don't make any money on that. Everything that I, everything on my autographs and the pixie dust, everything goes to charity. So it's not, it's not there for me, for anybody that needs it. 
So yeah, please go to my website and uh, if you feel charitable, you know, buy an autograph or, you know, we support Make-A-Wish Foundation and the USO. So both of those charities are very important to me. So that's where everything goes. All the money goes to, to charity. Well, Gina, this has been an absolute honor. Um, I'm really, really, really glad you set aside some time to talk to us and I hope <laughs> hope you're staying healthy as well. I know you've got You've got quite an, an upheaval uh, drive ahead of you later in the week. So wishing you safe travels there as well. Yeah, and thank you so much, you guys. This was really fun. It was really nice to touch on other parts of my life. Thank you so much, and I hope we get to do it again. No, we have to. We have to. That, that, that's not a hope. It, it's going to happen. And like I said, maybe we can do it to celebrate the end of COVID because I hope it's gone soon. Um, so th thank you, Gina, for being on. And this has been... Uh, Chris and Sarah with the Creating Geeks podcast. And like we always say, Sarah. There's no shame in being a geek, no matter how old you are. Gina, have a great <laughs> night, great evening, yes. and we'll talk to you very soon. Thank okay? you. It was great to talk to you. You too. Give a hug to those kids for me. Oh, we uh, will. Uh, okay. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye now. Thank you so much. Bye.